this cult of hockey podcast by the faithful and for the faithful. I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal, and I'm here today with Bruce McCurdy. Hey, Bruce. Hey, David. How are you doing today? Excelente. You're checking something out there. What's going on? Burglar uh, in the house? Blue Jays in the ninth inning. What hit come on? Somebody just hit a home run for the bad guys. Oh, there you go. That's why uh, you don't want to follow it. It's just pain, more pain and suffering. Speaking of... I just of, turned it off. Uh, not speaking of pain and suffering, but it was a pretty good day for the Edmonton Oilers, Bruce, I have to say. We've been um, hoping that it wouldn't be all bad news in free agency for the Oilers. And there was some bad news with the loss of Clem Costin and Kyler Yamamoto. Um, mm-hmm. Two players at Kent Holland, at least said that he wanted to keep on the team. I'm not sure if he's being 100% um, fully transparent mm-hmm. on Kyler but I do believe they really wanted to keep Costin. Well, anyway, they asked, they, him, they asked him about Kyler, and he said he's he's he wants to test the market for now, but he didn't say he wasn't interested in him, but he didn't say he was his immediate priority either for obvious reasons. Yeah. But, uh, you know, you never know what goes around comes around, but I'm pretty sure they got the right right winger they really wanted. This Connor morning. Brown, Connor Brown. We'll talk about Connor Brown. We'll talk about four kind of AHL NHL tweeners, probably more tweening in the direction of the AHL. Uh, Lane Peterson, who's almost scored a goal a game in his 18 games in the AHL last season. Forward Drake Kajula, well known to Oilers fans, and two defensemen, Noel Hoffenmeiner and. Sir Gleason. Something rather Gleason. What's his first name? Brad? Tim? Oh, uh, ben. ben. Ben Gleason. Sorry, Ben. Ben Gleason. Not, not Jackie. Not Jackie Gleason Jr. <laughs> uh, Bruce, it, 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 you know, we'll talk about Brown last because that's the exciting thing. So you're going to have to, you're going to have to wait, but you won't be disappointed. If you wait to hear our discussion about Connor Brown, it's going to be the best uh, Oilers hockey discussion about Connor Brown of all time. Uh, but first we'll go through the some of the earlier stuff. So let's first deal with the Yamamoto um, cost in thing and whether that was a net. H- how do you think Ken Holland did overall on that deal? I'm gonna, I'll start it off first by saying I it, it struck me as a poison pill, not that poisonous in the in that this they had to sign Yamamoto last year to that the contract and uh, you could argue that they screwed up in giving Yamamoto two years yep. I, I think that's fair you know so yeah poison pill in that way they they shouldn't have given that extra year but if he had scored 20 goals again you know he would be then he would have been a four million dollar player or a four and a half million dollar player so you know, it didn't it didn't work out for Holland, no. but they were going to have to pay him if they wanted him at all, even for one year. It was going to be three million plus, right? Like that's that's not up for debate. Mm-hmm. It's just that extra year that he screwed up on. That said, I think they got 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 out of that rather elegantly. Um, they didn't have to um, buy him out. They couldn't. It looks like they couldn't afford clean cost, and he wanted two million a year. He got that from Detroit on two years. Yep. So I. I hated Costin leaving. I think he, I think the orders now have a big physical hole in their bottom six that he was, he was that guy, man, that's a tough guy to find and a tough guy to replace. And I wish the orders had found a way to, to keep him, to figure it out. A lot of people are breathing a heavy sigh of relief that the orders dodged a bullet with losing out on Costin, like that, you know, he was on a high sh- shooting percentage. He was never going to score that many, that rate of goals again, which is, which is a fair comment. But he just offered so much, and he's at 25 years 25 years old. I just, I think Detroit got the better of that deal by a country mile because they got the player. They got a really, they got a budding power forward who I think can play third line, maybe second line, for two million a year in the prime of his career. That is a hell of a deal for the Detroit Red Wings, and I wish the Oilers had been able to get it, not to be. Well, the prime is a ways off yet, and his next contract could well be bigger than this one. It could even be a lot bigger than this one. Uh, but two years for uh, two million, 
on that player based on his half season showing in St. Louis and basically full season in Edmonton. Uh, that's a pretty good bet by uh, Eisenman. And basically they bought the player for a million bucks because they paid, a, you know, basically yeah. a $500,000 buyout for Yamamoto this year and next. And that's all it cost them to get Clem Costin. And you turn around and look at some of the other deals that, that took place. I mean, uh, um, Chicago, who's doing all kinds of weird stuff, I have to say. Again, but, uh, again. Again. Uh, yeah, anyway, they they took um, uh, the guy from uh, uh, from New York Islanders. Uh, what the heck's the guy's name? Josh Bailey? Uh, no. Uh, yeah. Brock Nelson? Was it Josh Bailey? Yeah, it's anyway, Josh they got Bailey. the last year. The last year, all those guys, Brock Nelson, Josh Bailey, they all, they all just sound like guys. Uh, anyway, uh, they got the last year at $5 million, Chicago. Uh, they bought him out, just like Detroit bought out Yamamoto, except for that cost Chicago $2.33 million. Right? And what did they get in return? And what they got for it? A second-round draft choice in 2026. So by 2026, they get to draft a player who in 2030 might be Clem Costin, you know, or as Detroit just bought Clem Costin, 23-year-old 20, uh, former first-rounder who's now a year-and-a-half NHLer and uh, uh, made a real strong impression here, I have to think. So I think Detroit way outperformed Chicago on, on, on that transaction type yeah. Taking a guy and an asset and then buying the guy out. Well, Detroit got a cheap guy to buy out and they got a real good asset. And Chicago got some, you know, shiny bobble, magic beans, as uh, Dennis King used to call them. And, and uh, uh, you know, maybe it'll sprout in 2030 or 32 or something. But holy moly, if I was the owner paying off that $2.3 million dollars. I would be asking my GM, what the hell are you doing? But I'm sure glad Costin didn't go to a Western <laughs> Conference team, Bruce, like like Anaheim or Arizona or LA or some some or Vegas. I'm just glad oh, Costin's with Detroit yeah. in Detroit because uh, yeah, that I wish him well. So do I. He'll get plenty of opportunity there. And the Red Wings signed a bunch of guys today. Holy moly, they were pretty active. So yeah, JT I'm still. Yeah, and some big bucks, exactly. eh? Yeah, five years at uh, five, about five million for JT Comfort. Imagine if Holland had done that. Sprong, they got for one one year, two million. I'm glad Sprong's in the East. I'm, I was there was rumor he was going to go to Colorado. If Holland had signed JT Comfort, mm-hmm. oh, the funniest at that at that rate, five five times five. Yeah. That is a big contract for a you know good, not great player. Funniest thing of today was the orders had reported by Darren Drager, no less, on TSN that they signed Matt Nieto, who's played more than 600 NHL games somehow. Mm-hmm. They must be on defensive prowess because he's not yep. a scorer. He's a penalty but then all of a sudden, and a checker it, and a grinder. Fell, up, fell apart all of a sudden. He went to Pittsburgh. And I had already posted on Drager's rumor. And, um, he, you know, he that just seemed like a done deal. Well, it's... That's what he said it was, yeah. but it wasn't anyway. But the owners, they did, you know, so the, Lane Peterson is um, mid-20s. He's a, a big scoring uh, AHL player. Um, we don't, Drake Kajula is what, he must be late 20s now. And, 29. And he, he played in the AHL all of last year. He was a pretty close to a point a game guy. So the, and and then they signed these two defensemen, Hoffenmeyer and Gleason. And Bruce, they're the ex- <laughs> They're the exact same player as Candanine. They're all kind of, for, by NHL standards, undersized, left-shot defensemen. Average size at best. Average size, who, put, who at the AHL level put up a good number of points. Yeah. So, so the left side of the Bakersfield defense is, like, they got some smoke and puck movers by AHL standards. But did you need three of them? I mean, unless one of them can move over and play the... Um, the right side. So right now, as far like right now, if you're just looking at prospects, I mean, they have Max Wanner, who's coming out of Moose Jaw. He had a good season in Moose Jaw. His game developed quite a bit, and he's going to um, he's going to be the rookie there. But they uh, and then they have um, two veterans in Nima Linen and Kemp, who are what 22, 23, 
23 years old, and they're both physical players um, who aren't as adept at moving the puck. And then they have these three um, puck movers. So it's an interesting mix, not without a lot of prospects, um, but a lot of players who, for a game or two, could fill in in, in the NHL. Camden could do that. He's already done that. Um, Nima Lining can do that. So, so there's a some call-up potential there, but it, it's a bit of an odd mix. I, th- I thought they might have brought in one more really big Bobby Clobber of a defenseman um, to round out that well, group. Here's something that just jumped off Hofenmeyer's I'm going to have to add to my post. Last year, not only did he get 11-27 for 38 points in 65 games with Toronto Marley, it's not bad. Anytime a demon, all three of these guys were like half a point a game or better. 114 minutes in penalties last year for Hofenmeyer. So it doesn't sound well, like he's a shy that. guy. That's interesting. He's and let's, not that big, but... Well, that's, get, and look at this, Bruce. Uh-huh. Throughout his career, it's the first season in his career that he's had throughout junior, five years in Ottawa playing mm-hmm. junior. Yeah. And uh, we're looking at now three years in the minors. Yeah. Um, and this is the first time in his career he's had more than a penalty minute a game. Yeah. And he did it even in junior. Now maybe maybe there was a one or two incidents where he just racked up a billion penalty minutes in one game, or he's made a conscious decision. <clears throat> I want to be an NHL player, and I'm six feet, 192 pounds. If I'm going to do that, and and I've got some offensive game, I can I can I can move the puck probably at an NHL level. But maybe he's made up his mind that if he's gonna if he's gonna do that, he's got to be the orneriest six-foot defenseman in the AHL, which is a really good decision to make, by the way, for a lot. I, I often watch AHL games, and it's the thought going through my head. is, And it's, this isn't easy to do, right, to suddenly be a much more physically um, aggressive player because mm-hmm. you got to have to have guts. And you, and it, you yeah. take a battering, and you take a beating, and, and, and um, you got to have mental strength to play that way. It's not. It's a really hard way to play hockey because you're – you're going to be getting it uh, way more than you probably did when you kept your head down. But maybe he's made that choice. Yeah, well, I'm just looking up his game log here in the AHL, and he had one game with 21 PIMS, another with 17, and then a few weeks later, another with 17. So that's uh, 55 of his 114 minutes came in just three games. So clearly, probably a fight and a misconduct in each case you could – yeah. Further into the summary, but I'd guess 17 minutes is a minor, major in misconduct, or possibly even a you know one instigating incident where you get all three at once. And anyway, so maybe he made up his mind to pick to take some fights, which is again another sign of someone who's decided to become a more aggressive hockey player. Anyway, well, we don't know that. This, this is just speculation, but that was that's an interesting point that you made about six games minutes. with odd number of penalty minutes of five or greater. So those would probably all be fights. Yeah, or a major for maybe a major penalty. Well, maybe yeah. one of them is a border, but yeah. the vast majority of all majors are fights. Okay, so. uh, Nick Bugstad, Bruce. He chose Arizona two-year deal for was it two point one million each. Per year. Yeah. Per year. Yeah. So to sign an Edmonton, he probably would have had to take a million dollars a year. Why and, you, um, you know, I don't, again, it's like cost and like, I don't blame any people will say, well, if you wanted to win a Stanley cup, you'd stay here. And I actually think it would be Costin's decision. If he had decided to bet on himself in Edmonton, I think would have been a reasonable decision because I think he could really do well here in Edmonton, mm-hmm. become a big piece of a cup-winning team, yeah. and and crank up his value significantly. Bukestad, I'm not as sure about because, I mean, he's he's what is he 30 30 years old? He's in two, you know, he's got to make hay while the sun shines. Mm-hmm. Um, how much longer? How many more years does he have at NHL player? Um, I don't I don't blame him at all for, you know looking for a, a, a nice double the payday, you know, right. he would have got in Edmonton. Yeah, well, he got 900,000 one-year contracts for 900,000 each of the last two years. And then this year he had a good year. And lo and behold, he gets a two-year offer at more than double the pay rate. I mean, and obviously they liked him in Arizona that they traded him and then went out and got him back. And 
you know, he's he's at a place where he's clearly comfortable, and they are too. And you know, if you go ahead and cri- <clears throat> criticize guys for leaving if you like, but this is July first, David. This is Mercenary Day in the National Hockey League, and all the guys on the UFA list. You know, there's not a lot of loyalty there because generally by the time they got to that list, they've, you know, they not got necessarily all the loyalty they might have got from their teams either. And it's just time for moving on. And sometimes you have a guy like who's a good fit. And then Nick Bukestad, I'll say this, that $450,000 cap hit, he was a fantastic fit. At $2.1 million, well, the Oilers just can't do that. And they can't do $2 million for Clem Costin. And these guys priced themselves out. The guys who didn't, Derek Ryan and Matthias Janmark, they're back with uh, signed contracts. And then uh, the jury is out and the sword of Damocles hangs high overhead over the negotiations of uh, Evan Bouchard and Ryan McLeod. Uh, But I'll say this, uh, uh, Holland absolutely maximized his cap space uh, for those guys today because he signed five players to NHL contracts and every single one of them is on the books for NHL minimum next year. Cause they so, want to maybe play in the NHL. Yeah, because... yeah. I mean, the one exception is Brown, of course, with his NHL minimum plus $3.225 million in bonuses that rounds it up to a cool $4 million contract if he achieves the bonuses. But the thing about those bonuses is that they don't come out of next year's cap when the Oilers are, are upcoming years cap when the Oilers know they're really stressed. They got him on the books at NHL minimum, uh, which is to say $2.3 million less than Kyler Yamamoto was making to try and play the same position. And I'm pretty sure that they just upgraded at right wing uh, in the top six uh, at basically, well, in fact, exactly a quarter of the cap hit of uh, what Yamamoto made at 3.1. Yeah. So, it's you know he 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 gambled you know the the bonuses of the following year uh, to push his chips in, but to me this is just another way of going all in and saying you know we haven't really got the money but we're gonna we're gonna borrow some from the future and we're gonna get this guy on our team and. We've just we just solidified our team at the cheapest rate possible in terms of what gets charged to the salary cap in 23-24. And yeah. all the other guys, same thing, NHL minimum. So on, I see most of them as being in the minors. But when they do get called up, they won't have any impact on the salary cap uh, at all other than, you know, the, the, minimum, the minimum salary itself. So yeah. He's uh, he's clearly, uh, uh, you know, he's not throwing the money around. He threw it was some two-year terms today, a couple of one-year terms, and all at uh, at um, uh, minimum salary in the immediate short term. So that leaves whatever you know. I mean, obviously, you needed to have a another right winger on the team. In fact, they still need a couple of players on the team, and that's where McLeod and Bouchard come in. But he's left himself as much money to negotiate with those guys as he could have, you know, based on where he was at nine o'clock this morning. Yeah. He's throwing his toonies around like they were manhole covers. Yeah. All right. Um, so Connor Brown, Bruce. Um, mm. Well, I wrote a post and we'll just kind of go through I, where I kind of uh, rounded up comments on the Internet and um, uh, Twitter, which was... Uh, if you, by the way, if your Twitter wasn't working today, just get TweetDeck. Um, it's a service, you can online service affiliated with Twitter. And I, I didn't miss anything on on TweetDeck if you have that. It's a it's a fantastic service, uh, which is free. And until, until Musk makes, Elon Musk makes it otherwise, it worked like a charm today. I know a lot of people were frustrated. Anyway, yep. I, yeah, I, um, I avoided that. So, um, Bruce, it's... Um, I, we, I think we should give, in terms of journalists breaking the story, Chris mm-hmm. Johnson was the most definitive yesterday, I think it was yeah. yesterday, um, saying this was going to happen. And then today, Kevin Weeks actually broke it of ESPN. He's the one uh, who came out affirmatively. And then for a while there, people were were backtracking. 
saying, well, we don't know if we if this is correct, if Weeks has it right, he might have it wrong. But about 30, 40 minutes later, it was confirmed. In fact, he had signed with the Oilers. The first comment, well, I, I'll read you the comments and I'll get you to get what you think. This is from Oilers fan uh, Shadon at Shay underscore Nuge 93. He says, the list of former Leafs that have signed with the Oilers in the past few years. 2023, Connor Brown. 2022, Jack Campbell, Greg McCaig, Calvin Pickard. 2021, Zach Hyman and Cody Ceci. 2020, Tyson Berry, <laughs> Seth Griffith, Tyler Ennis. Safe to say we love our Leafs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can add uh, uh, our Shot. new Sky uh, Meyer. Noel Hofenmeyer to this yeah. list because he came from the uh, from the Marlies. Indeed. So this is back to the days of uh, of um, uh, of uh, Dallas Aikens, you know, signing uh, uh, Will Acton as as a free agent. Right. We've got our pipeline uh-huh. to Toronto. And seriously, it's the third summer in a row where we've gone in July first where the feature signing was almost known in advance, or certainly widely, widely speculated in advance. And each time it was a former Toronto Maple Leaf. Of course, both Zach Hyman and Jack Campbell came directly from Toronto, whereas uh, Connor Brown started in Toronto and has, uh, you know, spent uh, almost all of his career in Canada. This year he went from Ottawa to Washington, where he played four games. And otherwise, he's only played for Canadian teams. So that's uh, kind of unusual about him. But uh, he's, uh, uh, it's funny how that Toronto pipeline works. And hopefully he's uh, uh, hes one that will pan out. He is, David, part of the greatest class of rookies playing the same position on one team that I've ever seen, the 2016-17 Toronto Maple Leafs, whose right shot wingers, natural right wingers, included Mitchell Myrner, William Nylander, Zach Hyman, Connor Brown, and Kasperi Kapanen all played on one team as rookies in the same season. Kapanen just a few games, but the other guys were regulars. Of course, that was the Austin Matthews team, but he didn't play wing. He played center, but he was a rookie as well. And they they just uh, shot up the charts, went from a kind of a poor team to a pretty good one in one season and became a regular contender thereafter. And, of course, uh, in Hyman and uh, Brown now, the Oilers got two of those guys. And the other two, at least for now, Marner and Nylander, are still with Toronto and Kapanen's can bumped around he's in Detroit or in Pittsburgh but they're all still in the NHL all these years later that's really that's interesting <laughs> I think it's safe to say Bruce that the uh, Toronto Maple Leafs are now the farm team of the Edmonton Oilers mm-hmm. so seems that's so a really interesting development in the NHL mm-hmm. all right um this is from Leaf fans Brian B. Leafs at Brian B. Leafs Connor Brown and Zach Hyman, all the Leafs' hardest workers who had to go because of bad signing and core four demands, reuniting for a cup run. Cool. Uh, Oilers fan JFMJ93 One says, thought on, on that, sorry, before we go on. Yeah. Uh, they quoted Mike Babcock today, basically saying the same thing, that his two favorite players when he was in Toronto were Hyman and Brown because of their work ethic. Sweet. So. Uh, Oilers fan JFMG93, someone let me know what's so special about Connor Brown. So, Bruce, what we know about him is his points for 60 for the last three years, which for him actually just is kind of the two previous years to this one because he goes out all year after injuring his knee after four games. Uh, he, he had surgery on his, on his, uh, on his knee. And from him, Brown, from Brown's own um, self-description, it was only in the la- it's in the last month that his knee started to feel dynamic again and really good. But he does say it feels really good. Um, what are you going to say just before you're about to sign a contract? But he sounded genuine. Yeah. As he said that, he did sound like he was genuinely relieved and happy with, with how things were going in his rehab. We've seen Connor McDavid come back not from non-surgery. Um, and came back strong. So knee, knee injuries aren't what they used to be in the days of Bobby Orr when they were a thing of massive, unholy dread in the NHL. They're still not good, obviously, but players do come back regularly from knee surgery with with um, and look fine. So Connor Brown's points per 60 at, at even strength 
um, was is 1.72 per 60. So that's exactly the same in the last three years as Warren Fogel. It's um, just a little bit less than Ryan Nugent Hopkins and a little bit less than Clem Costin. It's a, it's a little bit more than Derek Ryan, Cutter Yamamoto, and Nick Bugstad. So we see kind of a player um, who, at even strength, he hasn't played with the, the best line mates in the world. Uh, he was in Ottawa those years. Mm-hmm. He wasn't playing, I don't think, with you know league-leading scorers. But he didn't. He did a good job of putting up points. He wasn't. He was a uh, a solid um, point scorer. He's he's right in the middle of the NHL. Out of so out of 454 NHL forwards who played at least 800 minutes in that in that time span, um, he ranked 238th. So that puts him um, kind of on a third line um, point scoring scenario. We also know from all reports. He's an extremely hard worker. He's he's a very smart player, and he's a strong defensive player who can add a lot to the penalty kill. And that's exciting to me because the Oilers need help on the penalty kill, and they need help defensively. You know, if they if they brought in another player like let's say he's as good as Matthias Janmark, who who also signed a new deal um, for a million dollars a year, if he's as good as Matthias Janmark defensively but has more offensive oomph, which it looks like he does, than Yanmark. And Yanmark had a bit. Um, I think we're going to really like this signing because the owners need sound defensive players. Like, <clears throat> desperately. Desperately, like Ryan, Derek Ryan, like Yanmark, to, to work with these, some of these other players. And um, if Brown can lead the way and also put up points, let's let's say he he plays on with Drysaddle and McDavid and starts to get like more like two points per 60 or 2.1 or 2.2 points per 60, which is not impossible. Hyman, um, these last three years is at 2.4 per 60, for instance. Um, I mean, this, this signing could be, it's just fantastic, Bruce. I mean, it's given how little money Ken Holland had to work with. And I know some people wanted him to buy out Warren Fogle and Cody CC and on and on. And we'll get to that in a second, but given how little money cap space that Ken Holland had to work with this year, Boy, that's a tremendous signing. And I'm going to quote someone by the name of Bruce McCurdy on that particular uh, that particular point. Here's here's uh, Bruce's quote, which I have in my story today on the Brown signing. Bruce writes, Wowza, that is one hell of a minimum salary player, even as the Piper will get paid down the road. The trickster Ken Holland, paraphrased, said, I can't afford to be giving out $4 million contracts. What does he do? Gives out a one-year, $4.025 million contract. Not lying, just misdirection. He is laser-focused on the 23-24 cap ceiling. This is a different application of all-in, by the way. What do you mean by that last point? Uh, I mean, he's going all-in for this year by by using, uh, going outside the boundaries, you know, using next year's cap to pay this year's player. And, you yeah. know, if you Fair want enough. to say he's not doing enough to, to maximize, well, I don't know how you can maximize any more than getting a $4 million player on a $775,000 cap hit for this year. Now, he's going to pay for that down the road. But if you're going to say, well, he's just not doing enough, uh, I, I don't buy it. Uh, I mean, he, maybe he's not doing enough, but he sure in the hell isn't doing nothing, which is the, he's sleeping and he's going... People he's uh, yeah, I like the he, trickster that he's a trickster. Uh-huh. That's a good way. To, that's a good way to do it. Like he yeah. was very. That was a very. He he, he actually said thing. four million. I can't afford. It. And it turns out my four point oh two five is actually an overstatement. The bonus was not three point two five as reported, but three point two two five to make it exactly four million dollars if he achieves his games played bonuses. So. Indeed. So no, that's uh, that was a really good comment, by the mm-hmm. way. I just that's it's in the headline of the story, the right. the first part well, of it. In his three out. years in Toronto, David, this is uh, uh, he played 82, 82, and eighty two games, pretty nice. And his total points per sixty, playing basically third line and defense checking penalty killing role, one point four one, one point four, and one point four one. That's pretty consistent. And then in Ottawa. 
Uh, he played 71, 56, and 64 games. And bear in mind, the first two seasons of that were shortened by COVID to essentially 71 and 56 games. So only in his third year in Ottawa did he ever get hurt. And he was 199, 185, 171, and he averaged 1.86 over those three years. And you included in your three-year thing the current four games in in uh, Washington. Yeah, well, he didn't score. In his previous sort of three full years, he was 1.86, which is t- pretty darn respectable. And the other thing about Brown is he is a big-time penalty killer. And if you look at NHL stats from 2016 to 22, and just kind of leave out last year, obviously it went sideways for him. Uh, Not that it changed his average, but his average on the PK was two minutes and 16 seconds, which ranked in the top 10 among NHL forwards for the three-year span. And his actual total ice time on the penalty kill was third behind only Luke Glendening and Pierre-Edouard Belmer, both of them basically PK specialists uh, throughout their uh, their time. And, and Brown's just been putting in, you know, two-plus minutes a game. His, his average was 217 for the six years, and 216 shorthanded. And he's just a workhorse on the penalty kill. Yeah, so, I wonder who he'll be with. Probably McLeod? Or they, no, sometimes McDavid. they put out the... You th- well, and McDavid, like I could see them putting out Brown for the first for the first faceoff, yeah, yes. and then flying out for the end with McDavid. Yeah, that's possible. that's how it might happen. Um, here's so there's a question: Is he going to be better than Yamamoto? Here's two different Oilers fans weighing in. Oilers blogger Sid of Oilers Nation says, "Quote: He has a history of strong five-on-five scoring, and he's also a much better." passer than giving credit for. I'm quite confident that he will be an upgrade on Yamamoto. But here is Oilers fan Summit Tripathi saying, apart from being taller, I fail to see Brown being an upgrade on Yamamoto. I hope yeah. Holland signs a couple extra middle six forwards to hedge his bets. Um, Bruce, color Yama, like I, I will say this, in, in the regular season, um, I expect that he will be a better defensive player than Kyler Yamamoto was last year, at least in the last few years. And in the playoffs, he, he will be hard pressed to be a last, uh, like Yamamoto was so ineffective in the playoffs. Um, Brown is almost certain to be better because Yamamoto didn't get a whole lot done. Um, he could be a, he could be a difference maker in the playoffs in a way that Kyler Yamamoto wasn't. Now it doesn't mean Kyler Yamamoto can't be that player going forward, but he hasn't been. And he's been significantly weaker in each of his four years in the playoffs than he was in the regular season. So when you look at point scoring, Brown, um, with less impressive line mates, outscored Yamamoto at even strength in recent years. He's a better defensive player. He is a bigger hockey player. Um, I I think it's a pretty safe bet that he's going to be a better player than Cutter Yamamoto this coming year. Maybe not a whole heck of a lot better. But I bet you in the playoffs he's going to be a whole heck of a lot better given Yamamoto's performance. Yeah, I don't think Yamamoto's scratching around at that uh, near the two points per sixty rate, isn't he? Down more like one point five and last I mean, three years one point five seven. Yeah. Okay. And I mean that includes a lot of time with McDavid, Drysaddle, or both on his line. And, and, you know, the production just isn't there. Now, as for Brown, I've now lost his uh, page, unfortunately. But I'm just going to bring up who his line mates were in his three years in Ottawa. I'll read you Craig Button's comment really quickly. Okay, go from for it. TSN, Craig Button. I think one of the key things to play with Connor McDavid or Leon Dreisaitl is to have a lot of intelligence. And Connor Brown has lots of intelligence. It's a really, really... It's really, really a nice fit. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, Button is a fairly astute um, observer of players. Here's from Sportsnet's Mike Futa, who was uh, a longtime hockey executive in L.A., I believe. He, he said, I love that move. He was such a leader in Toronto. They loved him. I know Senators coach G.J. Smith was really upset that they lost him in Ottawa. I like the way they're getting a little bit more difficult to play against. Now, you yeah, know, defensively, that important. that could be the case. That could well be the case. Did you find what you're looking for there, Bruce? 
Yeah, his regular line mates in Ottawa, most one that he put over the three years. Uh, uh, of course, some of these line mates weren't on the team the entire time, but Brady Kachuk, he played with him quite a bit, and that's probably why his points went up, but he got chosen to play with Kachuk because he was good enough. Nick Paul, Chris Tierney, you know, it's not exactly McDavid, Drysaddle. I mean, even Brady Kachuk is obviously not quite at that level. Uh, so he's been... Uh, uh, He's been uh, uh, um, uh, given some opportunity with uh, top-level players. I mean, as you'd expect in Ottawa, he became a a full-time uh, uh, top uh, top six player, which is what we expect to see here in Edmonton. I think in Toronto, which I'm just looking up his 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 teammates in Toronto, and mostly he played with guys like uh, Nazem Kadri. Hey, look at Zach Hyman. There you go. 633 minutes together. Like uh, yeah, I wouldn't be I wouldn't be surprised at all to and, see a line of, uh, well, it looks like Brown and Hyman actually are both maybe slotted for right wing, though, in Edmonton. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Given the letters, uh, so they might not yeah. play together that much, but I, I would expect to see maybe Evander Kane, McDavid, and... Uh, and Connor Brown. Yeah, well, we'll Brown see is a, we'll see a natural right winger. I mean, Hyman's a right shot winger, but yeah. played a lot of left wing in Toronto because they had all those right wingers that came in at once. Hyman was the one they moved over because they I had see. to move somebody because they had all these other, you know, you're going to tell Mitch Marner or William Nylander to move, you know, you get one of your versatile worker bees and say, you do it. And uh, Zach Hyman excelled at it. So more power to him. But I think now he's a right winger, but Brown of all the guys Oilers have at right wing, uh, Brown was the only one who will arrive in Edmonton as a right winger. Hyman came here as a left winger, and so did Warren Fogle, who we're kind of listing on right wing because we're out of players, and so did Derek Ryan, who came to Edmonton as a center. So all three of them gravitated over there because Edmonton had weakness at right wing, and then, you know, in the last 12 months, they've moved on from all of uh, Zach. Cassian first, then Yesapoliari, then Kyler Yamamoto. That were all our sort of natural right wingers. Well, they all got traded. So for cap right, space, all three of them got traded for basically cap space. Here's the top. Uh, here's the <clears> top <throat> lines on the Oilers right now. The depth chart. Top line: I have Kane, McDavid, and Connor Brown. Mm-hmm. Then the next line: Nugent Hopkins, Drysaddle, and Hyman. Mm-hmm. Next line: uh, Fogel, McLeod, and Yanmark. Fourth line, Holloway, Derek Ryan, and Raphael Lavoie. So um, they've got, that's not a bad lineup. And Raphael Lavoie, for people who aren't familiar with him, like I, I have high hopes that he can give some of, at least some of what cost him brought. I don't think he's a, a, as nasty a fighter, but he's a big, he's really big. He's bigger than Costin, and he's super aggressive and he can score. He's got a great shot. So, um, you know, if he can be, if he can learn at the NHL level to highlight the aggression in his game, the hitting, mm-hmm. the aggression, and play solid defense, Raphael Lavoie could be a good fill-in for Clem Costin. Now, the Oilers, I think Holland said today he wants to bring in one more center, a, a tough center. Is that right? Yep. So, well, probably a bottom center, actually. But yeah, he doesn't want. Center. He doesn't want I said Derek a top Ryan. Center, not a top center. Oh, sorry, he doesn't want Derek Ryan, and he doesn't want really Dylan Holloway playing center and he wants one of Nuge or, or dry settle on the wing so they can both play in the top six. So all you've got in your bottom six, there's a real sort of natural center is Ryan McLeod. Uh, and the other guys are more accustomed to play. I mean, Ryan obviously can play center, but I think he's at the point where he's more effective as right wing. So my wish list, and this guy isn't necessarily a tough, tough, tough center, but uh, he's got some real good, uh, attributes is uh, Michael McLeod, Ryan's brother. Oh, he signed already, Bruce, in New did Jersey. He? he did. He signed in Jersey? He did. Oh, okay. I missed that. Yeah. He was just re-signed then today, was he? Correct. Okay. Pretty right. sure Thank about you that. for that. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Missed that one all that. together. Then that's my wish list is destroyed. Well, your Twitter wasn't working and mine was, so. My wish list is destroyed. It's oh, like, well, I wanted it's, to see the two, the, the lefty and the righty. That's the righty, uh, Michael. It's a killer in the face-off dot. 
So on defense, the Oilers have the same group of seven D-men, and they have the same, um, at this point, and they have the same two goalies. And it was interesting, Bruce. You know, a lot of people wanted the Holland to go a lot bigger, be a lot more aggressive, buy out Warren, or trade Warren Fogle for nothing or whatever you could get. Trade Cody Ceci or for nothing or whatever you could get. And then f- and use that cap space, which would amount to um, $6 million, to bring in um, other players than Ceci and Fogle. Now, Warren Fogle, um, down the stretch and in the playoffs, was one of the Oilers' best wingers, two-way wingers. He was really good. Now, and I think at that point in his in his Oilers career, he was earning his $2.75 million cap hit. He was good value at that point. Um, really good value. Like even like maybe getting more value. Like I know he wasn't a big scorer, but man, he was playing strong two-way hockey. He was really effective. Cody Ceci, of course, had a had a bad season. I, I just want to say that people saying that, I I don't think it's crazy talk. I, I think that would have been an interesting approach. I think you could that it would have been reasonable to do that. It wouldn't have been nuts. It would have been, I wouldn't have complained about it if if Holland went in that direction and thought, this is what I'm going to do. There's lots, there's a, there's a market crunch right now. And if I can get rid of these players and not have any cap problems and I get, and then I get $6 million to spend, I can do a lot with that, that amount of money with um, the cap uh, being the cap crunch being bigger than it's ever been in the salary cap era of the NHL. Mm-hmm. because the, the cap hasn't gone up. So I'm not going to, I think that's okay. If you held that point of view, that said, some of the scenarios that were being painted were pretty rosy. And, and one, one, one of them, if I heard it once, I heard it five, 50 times, was you, you get rid of CeCe's cap hit and then you bring in Scott Mayfield for wow. the, from the New York Islanders. Now, it just so happens, you know, this is, this was, it was Scott Mayfield-itis on the internet. Well, Mayfield, who I, I don't know if he's a better defenseman or not than Cody Ceci. Some people are convinced. He's a good he's, player, no. But he just signed us. He's 30 years old. He's he's a, he is an okay, like maybe top four NHL defenseman. Probably mm-hmm. let's say he's top four right now. He just signed though a seven year deal, Bruce, uh, for 24.0 total 24.5 million dollars, like more than uh, I think it's 3.5 million a year cap hit. I'm so glad if that was the price. If that's what if that was going to be the deal that we we're going to get rid of CC, but and then have this Mayfield for seven years. Oh man, I do not know about that. Like, and here's what I would say about Cody Cece, and I, I'm going to be repeating myself a little bit, but or a lot a bit. Um, I think with a different defensive system, the zone defense, that Cody Cece is going to thrive in Edmonton, and he's going to have his best season in Edmonton next year um, if he's healthy, if he's recovered, and his injuries are such that he should be able to be recovered from from them. And if they change that defensive system to one that focuses more on reading the play using your smarts to shut down the opposition and the and, and covering the front of the net we're going to be really glad we have Cody Cece and he's going to excel with the Oilers so um you know I wasn't in the cap camp about buying like moving on from Fogel and Cece and I think that some people had kind of unrealistic expectations about what you might be able to do with that cap money but there were some really good deals um that, that were had there's no denying it and maybe maybe Holland could have done better with a more aggressive approach. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what Holland maybe could, could have done different uh, was when he signed Warren Fogel's contract after acquiring him by trade three years times 275, maybe he would have been uh, better served to go two times 275 or even two times 225 or something because it might have been less because he wasn't buying a UFA year. Uh or yeah. maybe he would have been better off going two times 3.25 for CC, you know, and then he would have had some flexibility where you got a guy's contract actually expiring and you can either re-sign that guy like uh, New York did with Mayfield, or you can go and, you know, replace him by some other means. They had no contracts, no meaningful contracts that expired that year, which is why they're in the cap jail that they're, that they're in. And it's one thing to sign all your core players to eight-year deals, like all four members of the Edmonton leadership group. Uh, but when you've got sort of your rank and file, second and third level uh, players uh, getting two and three and four years, uh, you know, you're really limiting your options. And, and if there's one thing Holland has done that I would criticize, 
uh, in you know, in the full light of where they are right now, is that he kind of, kind of uh, snookered himself with uh, having all these contracts that go down the road, and in many cases, way down the road, to uh, you know, the end of this decade or close. So, he, but he's got. Uh, I mean, I don't mind Warren Fogle, but right now, if you've got a third line non-center that's sort of outside of your core 12 or your, you know, your, yeah, your main players, those are the guys that, you know, really should be under 2 million or under 1.5 million in today's environment. And when he replaces Warren Fogle next year, when he re-signs him, it will be for a lower amount. Another player that a lot of people wanted was Miles Wood from um, oh, thanks, but no. from New Jersey, and yeah. um, he signed a he signed a he's kind of a similar player to Fogel, but more physical, but nastier. Um, he signed a six faster. year deal, six year deal was faster. I don't know if he yeah. is now six year well, deal because he got injured, had some injuries. Six year deal for fifteen million dollars um, in Colorado. The Avs also signed Jonathan Drouin on a one year deal. Um, Dallas, another big competitor with the Oilers, got Matt Duchesne on a one-year deal for three million. That was hard. That was that would have been nice for the Oilers if they could have gotten that that deal. Um, I didn't see a lot of deals actually out there, Bruce. Like signed today that I envied. Mm-hmm. Like I liked. I wish the Oilers could have got that Duchesne deal if they could. You know, if they had had the money to do that. Like it'd be nice to have Matt Duchesne. But Maybe they could have got Blake Wheeler for eight hundred thousand, like New York did. That would have been nice. Or I took a ninety percent haircut, David, from eight point two five million to eight hundred thousand plus a small amount of bonuses. But wow. Or Eric Gustafson, uh, one year uh, at eight eight hundred and twenty five thousand dollars. He was like a thirty two point defenseman last year or something like that. Um, mm-hmm. He signed Washington. Some of the like um, Anaheim went to town. They signed Alex Killorn. I think it's 33 to a four-year deal with for more than six million per. There was some big money spread around as mm-hmm. as usual, and um, you're often just as well to avoid uh, avoid it if you can. Um, about half the deals don't work out too well uh, for the big long-term contracts, or yeah. I'm going to guess about a half, maybe a third. 149 signings for 264 contract years, so less than two years per signing, which is an improvement. Total cap hit of $240 million. Total contract dollars, $611 million that it was committed today. $611 million. Yeah. So it's like $20 million per NHL team. That's a lot of dough. So the order's getting in. I mean, the Connor Brown... You know, the, the the when the shoe drops, they're going to pay for him. But uh, the Oilers sticking to um, uh, minimum deal. Like I didn't expect him to do a lot on the first. Holland himself said something along the lines of, uh, "I'm going to start shopping on Sunday because I can't afford Saturday prices." But what he did was he shopped it for AHL. Like that was one of his priorities was to fill in at the AHL. Need a lot of that today with the, the four signings to NHL contract and the Condors themselves signing four depth players to minor league contracts. So there's a lot of new players in the organization here. Uh, but obviously the uh, the milestone signing is uh, it's the brown one and and that was done at minimal impact to the immediately upcoming season when the team is most tightly crunched. So Some people also wanted to move out Jack Campbell. And I, you know, there are some suggestions you could move him out for as little as a first round draft pick. Like, I just think like that's, that was never going to happen. It was going to be, I, I think, you know, two first round draft picks would be super optimistic in terms of that amount of cap space. It's $20 million still over four years. Um, some people wanted to buy out Campbell, which would also be ruinous. Like, they still five million for eight years. Eight years after we're yeah. finally getting out from under the, the you know, the Sakura, Lucic, Neil, all that stuff. He's still that, two more years of Neil at one point nine million. Now, well, I don't want eight more years of Campbell at, you know, any kind of seven figure amount been, in there. Yeah, no, buying him out was not. You, given how there was given a team that was. Kuku, there's a team that was really interested in the guy. Like I heard Chicago actually liked him and were interested. Well, sure. You talk to them. Absolutely. You see what they want and what they, you know, 
if they yeah. think they're doing you a favor, if they think they're solving their own problem, you know, and then you deal accordingly. But he's still here, and you know, he's uh, uh, he's one of those contracts that's on the books for a long time to come, and that's uh, you know, that's the uh, corner that they painted themselves into. That's the fact, Jack. It's not going to be. Listen, he's got to get better, and we'll see what happens. It's the same thing to do, the reasonable thing to do, is to give him another year. Like, I can see if he has another terrible year, then you think about it. But even then, it's really painful. But this, that you just, not now. You just got to, you got to suffer through. And and maybe, maybe Jack Campbell um, rebounds and has a, you know, a 9.15 save percentage in 30 games and looks just great and, you know, plays every second game in the playoffs. So we'll see what happens, Bruce. Um, so the Oilers, are they done? They got the fourth line center, um, a tough, not top, mm-hmm. a tough fourth line center is what Ken Holland wants. That sounds like the last thing on the shopping list. Maybe, I don't know mm-hmm. if they'd go for another NHL level defenseman. I don't think so at this point. Um, getting kind of full up at Bakersfield. And um, mm-hmm. so one more forward maybe, eh? Yeah, I think a center would be the desired um, position. Uh, I mean, uh, in some ways, the perfect guy to get would would be uh, Nick Bukestad that they just lost. But like I say, he was, because he was a big center and a physical guy and so on, like Costin, I think that physicality raised his price range. But the orders are going to miss the two guys. I mean, Bukestad, he was over two hits a game last year. Like, he was bringing the physicality, and he's a huge man. Yeah. And uh, and Costin the same. So one thing that the orders in-season trades last year did was make the team bigger. Uh, you know, they brought up DeHarnay. They traded for Costin. They traded for for um, uh, Ekholm. They traded for Bukestad. Those are all very large men. And... They uh, now they've lost a couple of them, so it's going to be probably something that if you can't solve this summer, that it might be high on the list for next year's deadline trade to bring in uh, somebody who's a little, uh, little aggressive, you know. Okay, let's just uh, let's just have a quick look, Bruce. Bruce, at let's just give me uh, how many games you want to see 20 update results for um. Free agents that are still out there. Mm-hmm. David Krejci, he's not coming here. Patrick Kane, he's, um, not, here. he's not. Patrice Bergeron, Tarasenko, he's no not chance. coming. Max Domi, he's going to get way too much money for. You're the at other. the rich end of the list, and none of them are coming. Tyler Bertuzzi, I am. I'm just nope. going up. Thomas Tatar, Jonathan Taves. Now there's an interesting name. A guy who's made a ton of money. And could presumably want to win another cup and play and play for a team where he could play for the minimum, just wants to play hockey for another year, play for a cup winner. Jonathan Taves is a possibility. Evan Rodriguez is not signed. I just think this guy's so underrated. He's a that's really not a bad player. That's not he's a, a bad really player good hockey player. If the orders could get him, I'd be thrilled because like, hang on. I like that. that. Uh, I dropped my phone earlier, and of course That's I hadn't ring. turned off the ringer. That's a good ringtone. That's my Bruce. brother, the Leafs fan, phoning to oh to bemoan good... the fact that we got another Leaf. <laughs> that's a good ringtone, Bruce. It's like you're a secret agent. I didn't know that. Ra- who are, which country Ra- are you working? Radar, Radar Love by Golden Earring, classic oh. song from the middle 1970s. I think you're an Argentinian spy. <laughs> All right. Uh, just go, going down We're the centers, <laughs> centers here. Uh, anyway, um, you're right. Zach Parise, he's been mentioned. He's not a center, I don't think. Um, Derek Grant, Derek Broussard. Sorry. <laughs> right. I'm just trying to turn the ringer off. He's determined. Yeah. All right, there we go. Now the ringer's off. Sorry about that, folks. That's okay. Kind of a clumsy kind of day here at the McCurdy household. 
We're all a little discombobulated with Twitter man. off track, though, Bruce. Man, oh, man. Thomas Nosek. Garnet Hathaway. Ginger. I like Garnet Hathaway, and I would love to see the artist. That would sign your toughness, solve your toughness problem, and he can play. He's a anyway, know, there's... a solid bottom six, grinding, yeah. honest winger who's uh, you know, he he. But you know, if they could get him for you know 1.2 million like he made last year, I think that's what he had. It was uh, it'd be all right, but he's still out there. He's a uh, He's on the wish list, but at the right price. There's a lot of there's a lot of good players still out there. So, mm-hmm. you know, for a for your fifth center, your fourth line center. Yeah, no, he's but, a winger, Hathaway. So, doesn't completely solve that. Yeah, yeah. Paul Stastny, Pius Sutter, Chris Tierney, um, Brett Howden. He's an RFA. He's going to stay in Vegas, of course. Colin White. Did they not qualify Howden? Surely they did. He would have been. Yeah, I'm, he must be qualified. He's an RFA. He's listed. Yeah. I'm going. Oh, okay. I'm not just going. I'm going with the gotcha, RFAs yeah. and UFAs here. So, yeah. Pierre okay. Edouard Belmar. He's, he is now 38 years old. Yep. Already mentioned him as a big time penalty killer, and that's what he does. He used to play for Colorado. And yeah, he's he's been around, but he's been a pretty respected player wherever he went. But at 38, I don't know. No, it's, it doesn't seem to make sense, does it? Well, we'll see what happens. What, the, what about Jonathan Taves, Bruce? Do you think that's just not going to happen? Well, his health. Like, yeah. He hasn't played much in the last two years. He reportedly had long COVID. He had to shut her down for long stretches. In each of the two years, and I mean, I guess you could. I'm not sure. Is he over 35 by now? He must be. Dave's so 35. Maybe, yeah. maybe you could get him on a on a bonus laden games played contract, but that card has already been played, so I'm not sure you really want to do it again. I'm not sure how much Evan Rodriguez plays plays center either, but he is a really good player. Um. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. All right, Bruce. Uh, any final thoughts? Anything you'd like to add? Uh, I'm fairly encouraged. Evan Rodriguez. Uh, I'll tell you in a second. Now, he took 240 faceoffs last year for a game. Right. So not not none, but not many. Yeah. Uh, you know, played some but, center. Yeah, he played some center with that that many draws and sort of split them 50%. So he could play center, but uh, yeah. Uh, Happy to get Connor Brown. Unhappy not to get Michael McLeod. A little sad about Costin and Yamamoto and Paul Yarby with his hips and uh, uh, Noah Philp with his issues. You know, that's four guys that are pretty young that we've been thinking are up and comers for the Oilers. And all of a sudden they're all gone. Just like yeah. that, it's been you know yeah. it's a cutthroat business, you know. If you don't deliver the goods on an ongoing basis, if you don't play up to your salary, you become a liability. In looking at the lineup right now, I remember all those years that Alan Mitchell at Low Tide would say they need some real NHL players on this roster, and they just didn't have them. And you look at the rosters, and then when you go back in time now and you look at some of those 2010, 11 rosters, 2013, 14 rosters, you just think, oh, my goodness. Bruce, you look at this roster, mm-hmm. it is stacked with, with NHL players. players. Yeah, real like NHL. every, the only ones, the only ones who might not be are Raphael Lavoie, Vincent DeHarnay, and Philip Broberg, arguably, aren't NHL players. Every other player, and uh, did and I say Dylan, Dylan Holloway? Holloway? Dylan Holloway. So there's, there, the and these are all. He just hasn't proven it yet, but it sure looks Holberg like. and Holloway are will. both high draft picks that have developed well, who, who've done, excelled at the AHL level. Lavoie has excelled at the AHL level. DeHarnay has. So these mm-hmm. are all overripe prospects. So that's the other thing we want. We need overripe prospects and we need real mm-hmm. NHL players. And this mm-hmm. team has that. 
and uh, it's a pretty solid. This is a solid, 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 solid roster. Good to see. Thanks for talking, Bruce. Yeah, thanks for listening, everyone. I forgot the tagline. In the meantime, in the meantime. <laughs> that's it. That is there something before that. And in the meantime, and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast. Thanks, Bruce. Malfunction at the junction comes yeah. first. <laughs> <Being of the mind. laughs>